Let's just pray. Our dear Father, Lord, we thank you that you gather us week by week and gather for us to share the word of Christ. And Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is the one who opens up your scriptures to our hearts and minds. And we pray you would do that this day. Let this story that we know so well speak freshly to us. And Lord, show us what you are saying to us in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is a well-known story, isn't it? The visit of the wise man. We, we uh, have it on the our Christmas cards and our Christmas books. And um, There's actually no evidence that there were just three, would you believe? Uh, we get that from the three gifts at the end, but there may have been more. Uh, there's no evidence they rode on camels either, except from that passage in Isaiah 60. But that's not exactly uh, what Isaiah saw. He saw something much bigger than what we see in this visit of the wise men. Um, we have the uh, image of them following the star. That may be the case, but we'll see as we go through it that it may not have actually happened in the way that we've imagined. Uh, it's certainly a story that is one of these um, strange encounters uh, that are a part of the whole um, birth stories. You've got shepherds seeing angels in the field and um, uh, the dreams and visions coming to Joseph and Mary. And Matthew's gospel doesn't touch any of that, only deals with uh, the visit of the wise men. There's nothing here of the shepherds, nothing here of uh, Mary's situation of finding herself with child um, and yet not fully married. Um, some scholars even suggest that this is a, um, it's just a made-up story, uh, a midrash, uh, to make a point. Uh, but in fact, historically, it does fit a whole lot of historical things happening at that time, and we'll see that in a moment. Um, they, the uh, thought is that um, because uh, Matthew and Luke has nothing about the visit of the wise men, it can't be so. But in fact, Matthew has nothing about the shepherds and Simeon and other events. And yet we believe in the historicity of those things. Um, I find it, it's interesting... Um, We'll hear next week of, of their escape to Egypt. Um, Luke s he says nothing about that. Um, my, if you talk to people who have known my wife and I for over the years and you ask them, well, where have the Dunkleys lived in the last 30 years? They've lived in Eden Hills the whole time. But others will say, no, 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 they bought a house and lived in Wyala for a time. No, not, not the Dunkleys we know. And you'd have people who know us very well who would come up with different scenarios as to what actually happened. You see, Matthew, from his research, he discovered this amazing story of the wise men. But he heard nothing, probably, of the shepherd's visit and of the other events. Uh, he assumed that when they went from Egypt to Nazareth, that that was the first time they went to Nazareth. 
He didn't know that they, that they originally lived in Nazareth, as Luke tells us. And certainly Luke doesn't seem to leave room for a visit to Egypt. They go straight from the temple where Jesus is dedicated um, and then straight to Nazareth. But in fact, when you read the text, it could well give room. They could have returned to Bethlehem and then escaped to Egypt after this visit here. Um, something just because it's not mentioned does not mean that it didn't happen and again I rely, rely, remind you of what our story looks like over the years to different people so we're looking at a story that looks strange who are these wise men actually called Magi uh, who are they coming from the east and worshipping Christ, unexpected worshippers. Well, let's just put this whole story in a, in a bigger context. Now and then something happens that threatens our illusion of a quiet, normal existence. And I say illusion because the idea of a crisis-free life is not real. Fires and floods, pandemics and wars, what we consider a normal, peaceful existence can be suddenly upturned in a moment. Life can throw us a curveball. There are surprises along the way that we didn't bargain for. That's certainly been my experience in life and it seems to increase as the years go by. In a moment, our lives can be upturned and no matter how hard we work to protect ourselves, uh, calamities will come. We become risk-averse. We guard ourselves from anything that might upset the status quo or expose us to suffering. Well, that's where Israel was when Jesus was born. They didn't want any surprises. They learned a way of life that was reasonably comfortable in spite of the fact that they lived under Roman occupation. They didn't want any surprises. Now, this surprises in this story, and uh, we need to see past the, the sort of happy, visiting wise men on their camels, bringing gifts. We need to see that this is a dangerous situation, and the wise men do not realise what they're putting themselves into. This is real life, and it actually fits the historical context. The truth is that as God's people, we can like uh, normality, predictability, safety as believers, church as usual. But if we're not open to the new thing that God is doing, we could find ourselves actually opposing it. having been involved in, in very recent days, again in prison, and to be at that final service and to see men worship uh, with a freedom that you just don't expect. It is strange to see many of those men so gripped with an experience of the love of God in Christ that they are singing their hearts out 
And if any of you had been there, you'd be amazed, maybe even shocked. And as you look around at some of the management and officers, you could see that they indeed are shocked at what they see. Unexpected worship. That's what we're seeing here. Something that's totally unexpected. There's a surprise here that should hit us, uh, but, but because we're so used to the story, it often doesn't. But then there is a surprise that comes to us in the gospel of Christ every week when we come together and every day if we're in the scriptures that we could also just keep Keep quiet, not too excited, don't get out of control. Can you hear what I'm saying? You can't contain what's going on in here. But Israel, because they were fearful of what this could stir up, didn't want a bar of the birth of Christ. Uh, they'd lost real, any real hope that God could change anything, and the process their heart, and in the process their hearts became cold and hard towards, hard towards God. And so I'm asking you today, with me, check out where your heart is. They'd learn to survive without God in any practical way, and just maintain the illusion of faith, rather than actually expecting God to turn up. It was safer that way. They could go through the motions of being the people of God without putting themselves at risk. So let's, let's get into this story. Uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, Magi, that's the term used, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Not born to be king of the Jews, but born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose. And in fact, that's probably the best translation. Um, other translations, we saw his star in the east, which gives the impression that they saw it, then followed it. But we saw his star when it rose, and we'll come back to this, and have come to worship him. So these uh, wise men, astrologers, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Imagine if we had some astrologers, people who look to the stars to work out what's happening in the world, and they came and visited us here. We'd want to sort them out, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we? Yeah, there's all sorts of people that could come because God was revealing himself, is revealing himself to them, that we might think, hey, they don't quite fit. But if God's at work, who are we to doubt? Uh, these magi, astrologers, they're actually common in the royal courts of many eastern countries. They were used as advisors to the kings and they observed the movement of stars to predict significant events. Um, astrology is believed now, but back then... There was this thought that the stars moved across the sky and that showed the settled order within the universe. But, but when suddenly some new star arrived in the sky, 
the people assumed that God was breaking into his ordered world and making known some great earth-shaking event. And there were examples of that in history at that time. Other examples. And so these magi, uh, as they studied what was going on, they saw a star and uh, they believed it was the star that predicted the coming of the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, what was in their thinking? Why would they think about the king of the Jews? Again, there was widespread belief at that time and evidence in history uh, that a great ruler would rise from Judea and reign across the world. Interesting. Uh, Certainly, the Jews who'd been spread out in the diaspora and the spreading out into many countries uh, during various occupations of different empires, they carried with them the scriptures. And so there were, there were promises, prophecies that would have become known to some of the people who were thinking about the world. And, uh, and we know one of the verses from Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. And so these astrologers most likely had an understanding of the prophetic expectation of a coming ruler, king in Israel. Uh, Some suggest that they were uh, under there as an envoy of of uh, whoever it was that was king of that country from which they came. It was a diplomatic mission, you know, to try to, you know, get a relationship and, and come with gifts for the new king of Israel. Uh, sounds logical, but no, they came to worship. There's something stirring in their hearts that's more than just some, some sort of political alliance going on. And they come, whether they were three or more than three, they came. And we don't know how far they travelled. We don't know how long it took. Um, But what we know is that they were intent in finding this one born king of the Jews. And so they came to Jerusalem and they, they were obviously dressed a bit differently than others and looked different. And they were talking to the people, where is he? Where is he? They expected that the people of Jerusalem, the city of God, would know where this new king was so that they could go and worship. Um, They explained, we saw his star, that's why we're here, so tell us, where is he? And uh, no one has any answers at that point, but the Herod, the king, now, here's, here we are. We've got a problem. We've got two kings. We've got the one born king of the Jews and we've got Herod, who was part Jew, part Idumean. Um, he was uh, uh, in the uh, Edomite. Um, he was uh, a ruler working for Rome. And uh, he was actually a fearful character. He did some good things. He rebuilt the temple, so it was Herod's temple. And uh, when you read of Herod, there was actually many Herods in the New Testament. 
Um, there was a whole dynasty of Herods. Um, uh, this one dies around the time of, uh, after, just after Christ's birth in those early years. When Herod the king heard, two kings, doesn't work very well, does it? One uh, ruling Israel with all the power and might and fear that Rome held over them, um, and one who would be a very different kind of king. When the king heard, he was troubled. And that's no surprise, is it? No surprise at all that he should be troubled because uh, he, was known, uh, he was known as someone who um, would kill any rival. Listen to this. He, he, um, he murdered his wife. He murdered her mother. Murdered his eldest son and two other sons. They were all assassinated by him. Augustus, the Roman emperor, said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. And, uh, and his plans for his own death was that he ordered the moment he died uh, key distinguished citizens of Jerusalem who were hid imprisoned would be all killed along with him. That was the way he wanted to die. He was a cruel man. And he was suspicious and jealous of anyone who could undermine his control and power. So it's no surprise that King Herod was troubled. Um, and a, for someone to be born king of the Jews only meant trouble for Herod. But the surprise is all Jerusalem is troubled with him. All Jerusalem. This is the, the city of God, the people who claim to know and love and worship the living God, and uh, they are troubled. Why are they troubled? Um, I suspect many Jews had found a comfortable life uh, sort of a negotiated peace with Rome by keeping to the rules and did well. There were many others, the poor, um, the disabled, the blind, who struggled to survive, uh, but certainly didn't want to be in a situation where their, where their whole uh, society could be brought into upheaval again because of some kind of insurrection, uh, revolt against Rome. So they wanted to keep things safe and quiet. Um, if you've been in any church where something new happens and, and you go to a leaders meeting, oh, is it, should we be doing that? We don't want to, you know, upset. Now, there's some things we do that are unnecessary just for the sake of change. But to be open to the spirit. that They should have been there, right there. Now, they were troubled. They were not excited at the news that the Messiah had been born. Herod was so troubled that he assembled the whole Sanhedrin 
to find out the answer. Where was the Messiah to be born? What do the prophets say? And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, because it's written in the prophets in Micah seven centuries before, about you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew where he was to be born. Bethlehem, city of David. But they had no, no interest in taking it any further. They, they, they read the scriptures. They said, there it says, that's where he's going to be born. But uh, we're, we're happy just to stay here at the moment. <laughs> we're not interested in going with the wise men to see our new king, to see if, in fact, what they're saying is true. They really don't want to be involved. Keep things safe. We're not going to get enthusiastic about this, Herod. We're okay. (laughs) Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time the star had appeared. Why did he do that? Because if in the end he doesn't find this child to destroy, then he wants to know when they saw the star so that he can work out how many other children he needs to annihilate to get rid of any possible future Messiah. And he said to them, go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me the word that I may too come and worship him. Isn't that lovely? Herod's a liar, as is the devil from the beginning. After listening to the king, and it looks like they're not so sure Uh, I think they began to realise something of the political hotbed they'd found themselves in. They listened, they didn't say much, they went on their way. They heard the word and they went. They were keen to find this one born king of the Jews in Bethlehem. At that point, clearly, the star wasn't there to guide them. They'd come to Jerusalem, so it may well be that what they'd seen is that star... Uh, when it rose back in their own country and they believed that was the sign of his birth and then they came. It may well be they followed the star all the way. It may well be simply they came to Jerusalem because they knew that surely the people of God in Jerusalem would know where their king was born. And they need to know now uh, and glad to hear that there's a prophecy Bethlehem. It's only when they, when they come towards Bethlehem that behold the star that they'd seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, how we don't know. What the star was, we're not sure. But over the house they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Finally, they know this is the place. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him their gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country. They, they woke up to 
Herod's scheme. It's a wonderful thing that the evil one cannot fulfill his plan to destroy Messiah. Evil can cause great pain and suffering in the world, but it cannot upturn God's eternal plan. Right at the beginning of Jesus' life, the battle was on. He was seen as a threat, and his very life was under threat. But Herod's plan could not undo God's plan. And so God uh, warns them, go home another way. Four weeks ago, a violent storm hit Adelaide, and particularly the Adelaide Hills. It only lasted a few minutes, but huge trees were uprooted. Um, Some of us were in the middle of it, some of us were on the edge of it, some of us didn't know what was going on much. Um, My nephew's house, a huge tree came down on top of it, and they're still unable to live in it while it's being repaired. Power surges from lightning took out appliances, including our computer, modem and TV. And I was in the stone cottage uh, that Ryan and Libby had bought to renovate. And uh, we only had the colour tin on and no insulation, no gyprock ceiling at this point, just the tin. And the noise was deafening of branches coming down on the house and watching tree branches, limbs, huge limbs breaking off, snapping off outside and the river of water coming down. I thought the whole cottage was going to take up and... We were going to be off. We saw and felt the full force of the storm. No one expected a storm to hit with that intensity. It's the worst storm I've seen. Many trees in our street alone have lost major limbs. Now, a violent storm may seem a strange analogy to use for the coming of Christ, For some, his arrival came like a violent storm to uproot everything that they trusted in. In Luke's account of Mary's song, we read of the way God would scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Some who thought they were strong will come crashing down and others who felt downtrodden will be lifted up. The prophet Malachi spoke of how suddenly he would come. For some, he was the one in whom they delighted. But to others who were not ready, when they were carelessly chasing their own desires and underestimating the glory of Messiah, he warned, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand? Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? If we read the gospel witness to his birth rightly, we actually discover there was no glad, great celebration at his birth. It was not all joyful, glad tidings. Only a handful of people rejoiced. In Matthew's account, only a few wise men were overtaken by this astonishing joy. And they were not even Jews. In contrast, his very arrival disturbed the whole of Jerusalem. It threatened those in power. Well before the money-changing tables were upturned in the temple, 
the baby was seen as a threat to the nation. The coming of Messiah was only welcomed with intense joy by a few. To the rest, he was not wanted and he was not welcome. Now that gives a different picture, doesn't it, of that first Christmas. And again and again, we see how the coming of Christ divided people. Some had great joy, others cold indifference that eventually led to open aggression and hostility. You see, the people who claimed to believe in God and in the promise of a coming Messiah, to them, his arrival was seen as an intrusion and a threat to the nation. I was thinking about this. If we knew that the Lord was to return this week, how would that upset our plans for Christmas <laughs> or for next year? If we really knew, and if it was so as strange as someone coming in here and saying, a star appeared, well, we wouldn't believe that, would we? But if we really knew, would we be exulting in incredible joy? Or would we be thinking, ah, oh, I did have some plans that I was hoping to see come to fruition. Or would we actually be a bit anxious that his coming uh, might expose where we are in our faith, in our church, in our lives. That's what's going on here. They're not happy. And so they become complacent. But uh, complacency always comes crashing down when God is at work. You can't contain the action of God. These wise men are changed by their encounter with God and with this little baby. And they go home, they go home with a great joy that's life-changing. We don't hear of them anymore in the whole story. But we know God has revealed himself to them, to those no one expected. We read that passage in Isaiah 60, Arise, shine for your life. This is how big it is. And that's the problem. It's too big. You can't just fit the birth of Christ, the coming of Messiah, into the rest of your life. It tends to take over. It changes everything. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. That's what Jesus said. The, the fields are white for harvest. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. They're thinking materially the prophet is, that's all they could think of in terms of spiritual wealth is, is that God would bring all the wealth of the nations to them. But we are seeing 
as God has, Christ is building his church, people from every nation, God is bringing them in to his kingdom. All and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. You see, the visit of the Magi is not a fulfilment of this passage. If it was, Matthew would probably have quoted it. There are differences. But the visit foreshadowed the coming of what Isaiah saw. Gentiles, unexpected worshippers coming into the kingdom of God. It was a sign that people from all nations would be drawn to Christ. And we should let this story open our hearts to the people who might be very different from us that we might come to listen to and share with and see what God would do to bring them to his son. In this gospel, in Matthew's gospel, the first people to worship really worship Jesus. Others claim to, but the first people with great joy, according to Matthew's gospel, are Gentiles, not Jews. And it's a core theme of Matthew's gospel as the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. And that was something that, you know, the early church was primarily Jewish. They were Jews who accepted Messiah. And they struggled for years to accept that God's purpose was that the church would embrace the nations and that Gentiles would be accepted into the body of Christ without becoming like Jews. That was a huge struggle. And for us it might be a struggle to accept people who are not like us, not churchy, come into faith and embrace them as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. The verses after the Micah prophecy about him being born in Bethlehem. Micah goes on to say this. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, not in worldly power, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, those who believe, will live securely, undisturbed, but undisturbed in a good way. Not because they don't care, but because they found the care of God, their shepherd, in his son. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And surely that should have been on Israel's heart and burden that the blessing promised to Abraham might go out to the nations. They should have burned with that desire that Messiah, not just enough to him bring in the lost of Israel, but to, to restore the nations to God. That would be the, the burden in their hearts. But it wasn't. And yet it was these wise astrologers from the east who came hungry to find the one born king of the Jews who offered themselves freely, offered all they had, extravagant gifts, no, no cost was too much. They wanted 
these parents to know how precious this little one was. This one who would in fact offer himself as, as God's gift to the entire world. Let's pray. Our dear God, Lord, we ask that you might give us great discernment and understanding of how huge the coming of your Son in our flesh as Messiah, not only King of the Jews, but King of all creation, our great King of love, who has come to restore the nations to himself, to restore the creation to your purpose, to restore your glory in your image bearer, a restored humanity in Christ, in the joy of your eternal purpose, Father. Your light has shone in the darkness. Your glory has been revealed. And Father, we thank you that you go on revealing that glory in ways and to people that we would be amazed to hear the story of. Thank you, dear Father. This story shows us, as do many of the strange encounters, both in the Old Testament and the New, that you move beyond what we thought were the limits, the boundaries of your action. And we pray, Father, that we'd not only bear witness of that, but be a part of that and be open to moving out of the safety and the complacency of our own plans. And Father, that we would know the joy, the great joy of seeing you work in, in people's lives in ways that bring you great glory because of your extravagant grace. Father, bless your people. Bless us all. We struggle, Lord. We, we do grow cold. But thank you that your word lights a fire again in our hearts. That we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.